A new season of 24 is here, but where are all the 24 fans? They're over on Facebook. Go join them now, before time runs out. It's the best 24 Legacy fan club ever. Check out 24legacyfans.com and take part in the best 24 Legacy fan experience. 24legacyfans.com. That's 24legacyfans.com. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. dread. But fear can also entertain. <laughs> Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. Viral Outbreaks, bioterrorism, deforming mutations, flesh craving zombies. All of these things are synonymous with the Resident Evil film series, a film series based loosely on a successful video game franchise of the same name. A film series that has given us six movies over the span of 15 years. A film series that has divided genre fans since its inception. A film series that has reached its final chapter? As this installment of fright-filled franchises unfolds, we will blast away at the controversy and skepticism surrounding these movies and ask the important questions. Should you stray from the source material when it has such a rich history? Is it important to allow for character development even if your characters are two-dimensional? Do flashy 3D effects, fast-paced action sequences, and super-powered clones make up for the lack of plot and overall story structure? Grab your sidearm, dose up on the antivirus, and strap yourselves in, fans. We're heading to Raccoon City and beyond on this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. I'm your host, Nicholas J. Hearn, and across the table from me today is, of course, Diesel Adams. That is I. My brother from another mother, one-third of the Brothers Grimm. Grimm. Back again. We're in a weird mood today because... It, weird? It's, would, it's a weird move. I don't know about weird. I'm excited to be doing yet another episode of Two Guys Talking Horror with you, Diesel. But then you add in the fact that we just got finished seeing a, well, let's just say questionable movie. We we just got finished watching Resident Evil, the final chapter. 
Uh, supposedly, and you know, usually in film series, when they say the final chapter, that's never the case. Yep. But one could hope here. So wasn't that a Friday Thirteenth? Uh, Friday thing? the Thirteenth, the part four, the fourth, the fourth movie in that franchise. And didn't they go to like ten movies? They went to ten, and then they had the you know that side movie, uh, Freddy versus Jason, and yeah, yeah. The final chapter really doesn't mean anything in horror movies. Uh, also, though, this is the first episode of a new series of two guys talking horror podcasts that we're going to try out. Fright-filled franchises. They say that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But is that true for horror movies? Specifically the ones that have multiple sequels? That is what episodes of Fright-filled franchises will uncover. We will hold a mirror up to each individual film, but also the franchise as a whole. And we'll get to all of that, but first, a little bit of housekeeping. The Versus Machine Podcast. Resident Evil The Game versus The Movie. Here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, we have a variety of shows. One of those shows is called The Versus Machine. Now, The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and the similarities of the two. Now, hosts Stephen Wagner and Stephen Clifton wade through both the good and the bad of both Resident Evil, the game, and the movie in an entertaining and educational review. It's the perfect complement to the Fright-Filled Franchise review you're listening to right now. So head on over to theversusmachine.com, give that episode a listen, and we'll also post a link to that episode in the show notes of this episode, and you can find that over at our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Since this is going to be a new series of episodes here at Two Guys Talking Horror, the Fright-Filled Franchises. We want to take the time to let you, the listeners, to let you know how we are going to rate each of these films. And we're keeping it dirt simple, folks. Real simple. There are three three ratings. There's only three. We're not giving it thumbs up or down. There's no stars or anything like that. It's very simple. If we love the movie, you have my attention. You have my attention. Correct. If the movie was okay, was it, if it was watchable, that didn't suck. And if we hated the movie, just kill me. Three simple steps for your rating pleasure. Let's jump right in. We got a long way to go. There's a lot of zombies ahead of us. And we only have a certain amount of ammunition to get through the horde. What, we couldn't get Vin Rames? No, we couldn't get Vin. Sadly, we couldn't get He's He's too expensive. We couldn't even get Mike Epps. <laughs> Evil. Released in 2002, written and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, starring Mila Jovovich and Michelle Rodriguez. Real plot. A special military unit fights a powerful, out-of-control supercomputer 
and hundreds of scientists who have mutated into flesh-eating creatures after a laboratory accident. My plot, loosely based off of the hit video game series, this film has characters who aren't from the game at all. Uh, but they're zombies, so that's something. <laughs> Some suggested scares, mystery, and a shit ton of exposition before we reach the movie's main setting. I was a big fan of the game franchise. and In 2002, when this movie came out, the first, I would say, the first four games were out. Resident Evil 1, 2002. 2, 3, and Code Veronica. Yeah. Those four video games were out. And you put those four together, you got a, you got a tapestry of a great story. And you've got great characters. The characters that comprise that those first four video games, it's Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, Barry Burton, you got Albert Wesker, you got Leon Kennedy, you got Claire Redfield... Rebecca Chambers, I mean, you, you've got enough characters to where there should be no problem crafting a film around these characters. Uh, and that's not what we get. We, we get none of that. We, we don't get a single thing resembling the game except for, oh, look, there's this uh, corporation called Umbrella, and they're into bioterrorism, and they do experiments, and bad things happen. And they just so happen to have a facility under... Raccoon City. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. In the first 20 minutes of this movie, you're given some exposition from a voiceover. Then you get to see a, a breakout, you know, the, the, the virus. Somebody is stealing the virus, and they cause the outbreak, and they try to get out of this facility. And then you get to see people kind of sort of die. You don't see anybody die in this opening sequence. You get the idea of them dying. But you don't get to see any kind of violence whatsoever. Or at least anyone turning. There's no zombies. There's no monsters. There's just, it looks like a lot of computer malfunctions. Then we get to the mansion, and we're introduced to Alice, who really, I mean, at this point in time, we don't even know that that's her name. Everybody seems to have amnesia, who wakes up in this stupid house. And who these characters, who have no memories, Alice and Spencer, these characters are supposed to be the head of the, security, the umbrella security force for the hive, keeping people from getting into the hive. Oh, and then there's this this dude who just kind of wandered in, who's supposed to be a cop. His name is Matt. <laughs> and uh, I guess because the script. <laughs> and instead of, instead of this elite commando team busting in and killing anybody that is non-essential, they decide to keep them around. You work for an evil corporation that created a virus that can create zombies and other kind of monsters, but you're not ruthless enough to just take out a take out a civilian who's may or may not have seen too much. At this point in time, he knows absolutely nothing. But now you're going to take him downstairs and give him something to know. And give him something to know. So why keep him around? Again, the beginning of this movie is just so freaking confusing. I don't know what to take it because I'm expecting a horror movie. I really am. And there's some great atmosphere going on. It doesn't make any sense to me. Take away the name dropping, and this could be any zombie movie. And what names did they drop? Funny thing about this first film is if these people didn't work for the Umbrella Corporation 
and they didn't have a facility that they keep on saying is below the streets of Raccoon City. And they didn't call the virus that turns people into zombies the T-virus. This could have been any movie. Any movie that had zombies and monsters in it at all. You could have just called it a zombie movie. It, yes. It, it could have been Hot Chick in Red Dress versus the Zombies. I think they had that movie. I, quite possibly. I think it's a Korean film. The fact that throughout the film they keep on saying, The Umbrella Corporation, The T-Virus, Raccoon City... Because they keep saying things like this, we, the fans of the game series, we are automatically connecting it to the video game series of Resident Evil. So exactly. guess what? We're watching Resident Evil on screen because you said three key words that basically say, wait a minute, Resident Evil, Umbrella, T-Rivers, that means Resident Evil. Yeah. All right, here I am. There's no reason why you make a, a movie based off of a video game franchise and don't have the things that people love about that franchise. It's not just the zombies. That's not why I love the Resident Evil video games. It helps. It's one of the reasons why I started playing the games. The reason why I stuck with the series for the most part was because of the interesting characters and the detailed storytelling that they were putting into their video games. The storytelling that actually matched up. Right. It made sense. Now, the more the games went on... the kind of sort of started losing a little bit of its continuity. Kind of, sort of. That's why I stopped playing after Code Veronica. But these movies start right off the bat of not even paying attention to a continuity. We have no characters that are in the video game. From the video game universe, there are no characters here. Why can't I just have a movie that's based off of the video game that I love? <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez does her best impersonation of Vasquez from Aliens. You remember the movie Aliens, Diesel? Yes, I do. The sequel to Alien? Yes. James Cameron directed Aliens. Ripley goes off to fight the alien hordes with a whole bunch of Marines. Yes. Well, there was this particular female Marine called Private Vasquez who was just a badass chick. For one reason or another, it seems like Michelle Rodriguez took a cue from that character from that film and decided to portray her in this. Would you say that was a bad thing? I don't consider that a bad thing. I don't know if it was necessarily a bad thing, but I get the whole fact that a woman placed in a position of like a special ops unit, I guess a woman is going to have to prove herself so that she can hang with the boys. And, and it's sad that that has to be the way. But I also think that that's become kind of a trope. It's a cliche that writers and filmmakers use so that they can have this over-the-top, badass female character. Because up until, up until now, she is the only badass female character. Alice is all, oh, I don't know who I am and I have no memories. She hasn't shown that she's like this secret weapon that can kick a bunch of ass and not even break a sweat. I don't know. I, I, I just kind of feel like it was a little bit a little bit too much for me. I mean, I might be wrong. 30 minutes in, and we get our first on-screen kills. We've infiltrated the hive. We're trying to shut down the Red Queen. Okay, yeah. Well, that's good. And oh, uh, an ominous hallway. Very shiny, very bright. And look, lasers! 
Oh, the laser hallway. I never really understood why this underground facility created by a corporation studying the effects of this mutating virus had so many elaborate setups to kill people. Like a laser hallway. I, I, I think it's it was something that they wanted to try to bring from the video games. I don't remember a laser hallway in the first video game or, no. or any of the video games. No, there wasn't. But this right here felt like this was out of a video game. It was like, okay, hey, guys, we're reminding you this is based off of a video game, so we're going to kill some people with some hot lasers and cut people up and yeah. And it was pretty much pointless. We cut our cast in half, <laughs> and none of them even got killed by zombies. They got killed by lasers. <laughs> 39 minutes into an hour and 40 minute film, and we get our first zombie. So they've lost half their team, but they're going to continue the mission, and we're going to shut down the Red Queen and reboot the system. And by shutting down the Red Queen, they unlock all the doors, and hey, guess what? Now all the dead people are walking around, and they're a little hungry. There's some zombies. Finally, 39 minutes into this film, and we finally get zombies. You actually paused it and checked it. I did. <laughs> when I saw this for the very first time in the theater, I was not paying attention to time limits. I was just waiting. I, and that's what this movie does for the first half hour. It makes you wait. Me, as a fan, the only reason why I saw this movie is because I was a fan of the video game. And I have a feeling that a lot of people who were fans of the video games went to see this movie, thinking that they were going to get something like the video game. Yeah, me and a friend of mine. That's exactly why we went to go see it. Oh, okay. So, here I am, sitting in the theater with other people who have played the game and enjoy the games, and are expecting to see something similar to the games, and we're, we again, we just, we keep sitting there and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And finally, we're given zombies. The bad part about it is, is that evidently this movie's budget was so low that most of the zombie effects were CG. There's some makeup, but some of the more elaborate zombie effects, like half faces and, and, and chawed off uh, cheekbones and things like that, all CG. And, I, ah, man, no. Why? Maybe that is one of the reasons why this film was the way that it was. Maybe it's because of the budget that they had. Maybe if they had more money, they could have done something a little bit closer to the actual source material. Maybe it also, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that up until this point, there have not there had not been a successful film adaptation to any video game property. Mm, there still isn't. I don't know about that. I liked Silent Hill. Silent Hill was close. The movie was kind of a combination of the first bits and pieces of the first three game. The thing is, is that at least it had things from the game in the movie. Very Whereas Riot, Resident Evil, the only thing that you get that was in the video game is Raccoon City, Umbrella Corporation, T-Virus, and, oh, look, there's some zombies. And dog. <laughs> A liquor, some skinless dogs, Alice wanting out of the company, and a big setup for a sequel. So the ending of this movie comes fast and loose. It's, oh, hey, 
You know, zombies are everywhere. But guess what? There's a there's a cure. There's a an antivirus so that anybody that's been bit, hey, you can be okay if you get this antivirus. So now it's a race back to the train to get the antivirus and get out of the hive before it closes off again. But the Red Queen, eh, she ain't having any of that. So there's a liquor running around. Now me, I remember playing Resident Evil 2, the very first time you ever see a liquor in that game, scared the crap out of me. I jumped. Because the only thing you had was a pistol. And here in the movie, I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of sort of a liquor. All right. Well, it was nice that they put that in there. The CG effects looked like crap. But okay, nice try, guys. Uh, the one thing that I did think that they actually pulled off very well was the skinless dogs. Yes. There's this whole scene where Alice remembers that she's a badass and takes out, I, I want to say, like seven or nine skinless dogs that want to eat her face off. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, cool, thank you for the skinless dogs. And then throughout throughout the movie, we're given this whole backstory of Matt, who who's not a cop, but his sister is secretly was secretly placed inside of the Umbrella Company to be a mole and try to get the dirt on Umbrella. And evidently before the incident, Alice was trying to help her. I want people to remember this. This was something very important to the first two movies. Alice, I'm using air quotes, Alice. He really who, is, I can tell. Yes. Who worked for the Umbrella Corporation was conspiring with an outside agent to get the dirt on Umbrella to bring the company down before the events of this first movie. This is going to come into play when we start talking about the last film, folks. So just remember. In classic horror movie fashion, we have two survivors. We've got Alice and we've got Matt. <laughs> the guy that... <laughs> no, that... No reason why this guy should have survived this, this whole movie. And here he is. Matt survives, but he's been scratched. And he's infected. And, and just when you think that there's nothing that can be done, hey, guess who shows up? The scientists of the Umbrella Corporation. In a nice shiny white suits. Yes, in those nice white containment suits. And they take Matt away... And they take Alice away, and... They say, put him in the Nemesis program. Oh, wow. Okay, so we have four name drops from Resident yep, Evil. another name drop. Yeah, and, you know, Alice is carted off, and she's got visions of people putting needles in her, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, she wakes up on a table wearing a, a paper sheet. Pulls out ridiculously long needles out of her skin. She comes out of a hospital. There's nobody around. Evidently, Raccoon City has been ravaged by the undead. Not to mention she finds a shotgun. She's wearing a lab coat. She's got a shotgun. She's standing in the middle of a dead city. That's how we end our movie. Everybody was very confident that we were going to, they were going to be given a sequel. I have to admit, seeing that scene, I was very excited for the possibility of, oh, so the second movie is going to be more like the video games. Which would be fine. Which yeah. would be okay. I, I would be okay with it. The second movie is going to be more like Resident Evil 2, the video game. My personal favorite of all the video we're games. Going to, you and a lot of people. And we're expecting, you know, Chris, Jill, Leon, Claire, at least them four, something. Maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm hoping that we actually get a character from the video games to show up. So I'm left hopeful at the end of the first film. All right, folks, it's time for us to give the first Resident Evil film 
our rating, our seal of approval. And remember, it's a three-point system. So for me, my rating for Resident Evil, that didn't suck. I wanted to love this movie because I am a huge fan of the video games. And even though they had some interesting moments that kind of sort of resembled the tone of the games, it did not give me what I wanted. That being said, it is still a zombie movie, and I love me some zombie movies. And Mila Jovovich is easy on the eyes. So, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of women who can kick ass. What about you, Diesel? Well, <clears throat> I go back to when I saw it the first time in the theater. And I have to go back, and there's a reason I have to. The first time I left the theater, I'm like, whoa. But back then, my film palette wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. Right. And right. plus there was not a lot of video game movies. So I was just happy there was a video game movie out. Right. But as time went on and I watched it again, I looked at it and I just sit there and I go, hmm, this really doesn't feel like Resident Evil. And I've and I'm you know, I played the games, I played them all just about. And I don't really see the connection. Now, they had some good scenes like for a movie, the laser hallway was a cool scene. Right, right. Michelle Rodriguez's last stand while she's up there and the, there's this sea of zombies below her, like right at, within reach of her. That was a cool scene. Okay. It has its moments. Those scenes, you know, stick out for me. I'm going to have to go with you and you say, it didn't suck. Resident Evil Apocalypse, released of 2004, directed by Alexander Witt, written by Paul W.S. Anderson. This movie, well, of course, we bring back Mila Jovovich, but there's nobody from the first movie that comes back. Except her. Except her. Then we get uh, Sienna, I'm probably going to butcher some of these names, uh, Sienna Gilroy, who played Jill Valentine. We get Oded Fair. Who played Carlos Oliveira? Ah, there we go. Love Oded Fair. Uh, big fan of his from the Mummy movies. We also have Mike Epps for some reason. Jared Harris, who plays Dr. Ashford. And Zach Ward, he plays a character from the video games. He actually plays Nikolai something Russian. I can't pronounce it. But a lot of these characters that are, are introduced in this second movie were part of the plot of the third game. Real plot. Alice awakens in Raccoon City, only to find it has become infested with zombies and monsters. With the help of Jill Valentine and Carlos Oliveira, Alice must find a way out of the city before it is destroyed by a nuclear missile. My plot. Our first movie didn't totally suck, so the studio gave us more money. The game fans bitched about not having any game characters, though, so we threw some into this film to shut them up. <laughs> the evil corporation that created the T-Virus doesn't know what the virus does? This story gets so silly sometimes. 
you would think that because remember they had this gigantic research facility below Raccoon City experimenting on people and animals and just stuff with the T virus. So you're going to make a multi-billion because it was a million that was a lot of money down there. Multi-billion dollar facility underneath the city hide it. Right. Experiments all this stuff Full staff, full employees, it's damn near its own city for something that you have no idea what you're doing. Well, like I said, it really doesn't make much sense half the time. So the the silliness of the story of this second film is that the virus is out. It's spreading through Raccoon City. The Umbrella Corporation is going to take this opportunity to actually see what the virus can do. What will a virus do here? What will a virus do there? Uh, uh, This is is one of those things that I just don't buy. It's, I can't, there's not a a disbelief pill big enough for me to swallow or even use as a suppository to make me believe that a multi-billion dollar company would not already have the information that they need to sell this bioweapon to other countries and corporations. The whole premise of this story, of this second movie, is kind of stupid. Had we stuck with the virus got out and the city is being overrun with zombies and our main characters are trying to get out alive, doesn't that sound like a story worth watching? It would have made more sense. And and even if you can go with the crap, it's out. we got to blow up the city to cover it up. Okay, that still works. Well, yeah, keep keep that because yeah, that that makes sense that they would blow up the city to wipe out the virus. Yeah, total total makes sense, but then you have that ticking clock. We have to get out of this city before sunrise because they're going to drop a tactical nuke on us, which is in the movie, but you have all this other convoluted stuff added to that that it just it just becomes ridiculous. They're collecting this, or they need to know that, or they're performing this experiment. Hmm. And this movie, even though she started in the previous movie, this is when Super Alice is really coming out. In the first movie, we had Alice. She was just a badass. This one, we find out that in between the movies, Umbrella has done something to her. They have infected her with the T-virus. And unlike other things, instead of mutating into a horrible monster... The T-virus has bonded to her, giving her superhuman agility, strength, reflexes, and things like that. In the second movie, we get Super Alice. She can do almost anything. She has all these great reflexes and strength, and she just pretty much takes over. You can call, I guess you can call her Super Alice. I guess that's the only way that you can get around with the fact that she can do some things in this movie that make absolutely no sense to the narrative of the story, but it works with getting other characters out of jail. Yeah, it's... Okay, fine. Yeah. It works good for action. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Characters from the game series. Sort of. Like I was saying during the listing of the cast for this film, we finally get characters from the game series. We get Jill Valentine... We get Carlos Oliver. We get Nikolai. We even get Dr. Ashford, or a version of 
Dr. Ashford. Because, again, the video game series does get a little convoluted. And depending on what games you've played, the Ashford name is very synonymous with the Umbrella Corporation. Portrayed just a little bit differently here in the movie. But you're we're getting characters from the game. Here's but the problem. To me, it feels like name dropping. They dress them up in the costumes that people are used to seeing them in, in the outfits. And that's it. I'm sorry. I mean, the actress playing Jill looked like Jill, but that's not Jill. I'm I'm sorry. Jill's not this. I'm tough as nails, and I've got I take no attitude from anybody. I'm I'm an expert at killing zombies. No, you're not. The character of Jill Valentine was she she was young, she was plucky, she had the gusto, and that's how she got through the mansion in that first video game. But she barely got out of that that situation. And then in the third game... She's, she's more seasoned. She's more seasoned a little bit. Not much time has passed. So you can't really be very seasoned. But she knows what to expect. It's not, I have to learn to shoot these things in the head. I know, shoot them in the head. They'll go down. This character is just so... And I don't want to sound like I'm being uh, against girl power or anything. But it seems like any female introduced in these movies specifically these resident evil films have to be over the top badasses or else what the audience won't believe that they can do the things that they do and i don't like that to piggyback off of your nothing against a strong female lead i'm all for it but these resident evil movies they made the the male characters kind of pussies yeah, they had their little moments, but it was all about the females taking the spotlight. Again, not against it, but right. There's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, it's just let's even it out. Yes. I mean, yeah, sure. Your other male characters were soldiers or mercenaries or whatever you want to call them, but they still kind of felt like cannon fodder. Uh, yeah. But again, when you look at it as a whole, the movie franchise is all about Alice. Zombies from the ground. Seriously? Oh, the graveyard. Yeah, there's a scene in this movie where our, our heroes are walking through a graveyard. The safest place during a zombie apocalypse, one would think. And all of a sudden, zombies start popping out of the ground. This is impossible. This is impossible. From what we were told in the beginning of the first movie, the virus starts at a liquid form, goes into an airborne form, and then a blood-based pathogen to where it's passed back and forth. It never is ground-based. No. It cannot It cannot seep, reanimate. It can't seep into the ground. No, it can reanimate. reanimates dead tissue. You can't be infected if you're dead. buried six feet under. It's impossible. Yet, this movie all of a sudden turned into Return of the Living Dead. It was like, on top of the T-virus, we also had the 245 trioxin gas seeping into the ground. And you're going to find this in this franchise that, and maybe I should talk about it here, because just like the first film, this film was written by Paul W.S. Anderson. I'm just, spoiler alert for everybody, Paul W.S. Anderson writes all six of these films. All of them. All the entire franchise. He wrote this franchise. He created the things that happened in these six films. And in every single movie, he goes back and he changes something. In between films, 
in comic books, that's called retconning. You really shouldn't be doing that in a, in a movie series. It just It's not how you do things. And we'll get into more details of that as we get further into this series. But we're only in the second movie. <laughs> Stars are the best there is. Not really. So if you play the video games, you know that the group that Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine belong to are the Stars. Right. It's an elite police force. Kind of like a super SWAT team, if you will. Stars stands for Special Tactics and Rescue Service. Okay, and they they're supposed to be the best of the best. They're supposed to be this elite group that can go into any situation, kick ass, take names, get survivors out and bada boom bada bing. That's what they're supposed to be in the video games. So in the movie the Stars, I, they really I don't see them doing anything really all that fancy. They don't. They don't do anything in this movie. But they are used to test out the Nemesis. Evil Umbrella Guy decides, ooh, hey, wake up Project Nemesis, and uh, we're going to have him walk around and do some stuff. And, oh, look, stars. So they send, hey, they're the best of the best. Let's send them up against stars. Let's see, because we got to get test information. we got to get test results, because th- this whole thing is a test now. Ugh. I can guarantee you that in between the two movies, fans were like, well, the first movie didn't have anybody from the video games. So what do they do? Well, let's write in Jill. Let's write in Carlos. Let's write in Nikolai, Dr. Ashford. Ooh, let's put the nemesis in there too. Oh, okay. So now the star, even the stars are put in there as fan service just so after the nemesis is done killing all of the stars members, he can actually go... Stars. Which is basically what he said throughout the entire third game when he was hunting down the remaining Stars members from the first game. (laughs) Nemesis done practically. This is probably one of the highlights that I I can talk about about this film. I was very grateful that instead of using really bad CGI, because... You know, this is only 2004. And so unless you're still... Well, unless you're spending the money, unless you're spending George Lucas Disney money on special effects, it's not going to look right. Darth Vader money? So, <laughs> Darth Vader money. I was very pleased with the fact that they decided, hey, let's get a really tall actor and put him in a costume. Because the costume looked good as long as the nemesis was just casually walking. And every now and then raising up the well, big yeah, rocket. raising up the big rocket launcher you know. or his his mini Gatlin gun. That I'm fine with. But there's an action scene at the end where Nemesis is fighting Alice, and you have to have all these quick cuts and close ups because you can't get away with the herky jerky clunky movement of this bioweapon that is supposed to be as much of a badass as her. As Super Alice. It works. I mean, it looks great, so I'm glad they went with the practical effect of making a costume. But it also it also suffers because they still didn't have the budget or even the foresight to go, how are we going to make this nemesis fight like it does in the video games? It's kind of like putting somebody in those big turtle suits and saying, all right, go to work. Yeah, but it worked in the, in the, the, the original Turtles franchise. You could have a person in those suits, and I still believed that they could kick some ninja ass. Yeah, that's true. 
You know what? It was kind of like it's kind of like one of those those big sumo suits where your arms are way out here. Not really much you can do except just bump into each other. Funny to look at, but not practical. Bingo. Yeah. Mike Epps. <laughs> That's all I have to say. GTA, motherfucker. Ten points. <laughs> I. No, no, okay. All right. I get why he's in the movie. Comic relief. Comic relief. But, okay, and my other favorite scene of that whole movie, when, you know, when he first encounters the stars, yes. and they try to hand him a gun, he goes, please, my shit is custom. But, okay. And while that was funny. What does it do to service the story, the overall story of the movie? Gold guns. Here, here's the thing. Take Mike Epps' character out of the film. Nothing has changed. Mike Epps does not save anybody's life. He is not the turning point of any point of this plot. He is only there for comic relief. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's something wrong with that in a horror movie. And that's another thing. I don't think we've really talked about this. And it's going to be very apparent throughout this series. These are not horror movies. These, These are, are action movies. Action movies. Because apparently, my guess is, the people who create these movies saw that, okay, we're getting this from a video game. So we should make it action. Because it's a video game and there's action in a video game. No. It's a survival horror video game. So you make it about horror and surviving. Not action. Just because it's a video game doesn't mean it necessarily needs to have action all over the place. It doesn't, because there are a lot of video games out there that don't have a lot of action. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, bad guys turn, trying to tie into the video game series, and Jedi Alice. Okay, yeah, I clumped, I clumped the ending of this movie together because... <sighs> That's what they did. Yes. To get out of the city, our survivors have to make a deal with Dr. Ashford to save his daughter, and he then will show them a way out of the city before it gets nuked. Okay. But then it turns into this, oh, well, we knew about this all the time. Umbrella's evil, and now we're going to have you fight the nemesis. Project Alice versus Project Nemesis. Finish him. So it turns into this weird Mortal Kombat business. But during the fight, evidently something inside the nemesis head kind of remembers who he was because, oh, hey, guess what? That's Matt. The useless character from the first movie was turned into this hulking monster. And now, because Alice didn't kill him, he breaks his control and decides to turn and be a good guy just to save Alice and then die. Okay. Now our heroes, they escape as... The nuke is about to be dropped on Raccoon City. So that is very much the ending of Resident Evil 3. Jill gets out of Raccoon City just before it's blown up. Another nod to the video game franchise. Yet you're still not giving us the video game. Unfortunately, you know, when a nuclear bomb goes off, uh, bad things happen. Crash helicopter. Alice is dead. And all of our other heroes have escaped. But it's okay we can rebuild her. We have the technology. Umbrella patches Alice up, and I don't know why they decided to do this, but they made her go from Super Alice dun, 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 dun. to 
Jedi Alice. She's not the zombies you're looking for. I mean, she she literally has the ability to kill somebody from far away just by looking through a surveillance camera. She kills somebody with her mind. Doesn't know watching that, her on a surveillance camera. Doesn't know where it goes, where the camera goes, none of that. Just exactly. or layout of the building. Just can go. Hmm. Somebody's looking at me through a camera. I don't think Professor X even has those type of powers. Yeah, I, I, it, it, very weird, very haphazard. I don't Again, even think a, there's no one in any type of medium that has that type of ability unless they know where that person is. Right. And Alice just walks out and joins her friends, and that's the end of this movie. Yeah, okay. the comic relief survives for another. Well, I mean, not only does the comic relief character survive, but he's black, so the black guy survives a, a horror movie. Yeah. So I mean, there's an accomplishment for you right there. All right. So yay. congratulations, Mike Epps, for uh, surviving a horror movie. If you want, but as we said before, can't call it a horror movie. Yeah, it's an action horror movie. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so my rating for Resident Evil Apocalypse. A movie filled with nothing but fan service. (laughs) Give the fans what they want without giving them what they want. I own this film as well. I only own the first two Resident Evil movies. The rest I, I have not bothered to purchase and place in my awesome horror movie collection. It is very awesome. It is. It is awesome. I'm pretty proud of it. That being said, I, I I can barely I can barely give this film the rating. That didn't suck because it kind of did suck. So it just barely ekes into the well that didn't suck category. What about you, Diesel? I Apocal- have to go with it didn't suck. And again, I kind of agree with you, but and even though he was pointless in the movie, Mike Epps cracked me up. He that part him he made me laugh. Well, he and, did his job then because he was the comic relief. Yeah, and the kids, the scene with the kids in the school that was pretty creepy and pretty cool. That was a good scene. Yes, all of thirty seconds. Sadly, yeah, just that it barely gets into because of those two. It didn't suck. That's what I think. It didn't suck. And I really want you people to listen to how I'm saying it with the lack of gusto and the weak hands. So he feels just like I do. It barely makes it into the it didn't suck category. Resident Evil Extinction, released in 2007. Uh, Hold on, just want to... How can you have extinction when you've already had an apocalypse? Directed by Russell McCahey and written (laughs) by Paul W.S. Anderson. This third installment stars Mila Jovovich. Again, she has returned. Oded Fair has survived to come back for a third film. And we get Mike Epps, because, you know, he he survived. Ten points! And we get Allie Larder. I'm actually a very, I'm fond of her as an actress. She's been in a lot of both television and films that I've, I've enjoyed. But in this movie, she 
she plays Claire Redfield. And I have a problem with that because how can you introduce Claire Redfield before you introduce Chris Redfield in a Resident Evil franchise? It just it doesn't make any sense to me. And you're going to find a lot of things that don't make sense to me in this film because this, by far, for me, this is the worst film in the franchise. The real plot. Survivors of the Raccoon City catastrophe travel across the Nevada desert, hoping to make it to Alaska. Alice joins the caravan and their fight against the evil Umbrella Corporation. My plot. The good guys failed and the virus spread. The whole world is dead and it's a giant desert. Alice has more superpowers than before. And clones. Fucking clones. So the world is turned into a wasteland by the T-virus. But we're just going to gloss over that and skip ahead a few years to when it's just a wasteland. You know, one of the things about storytelling is the progression, especially if you're writing a a saga, I guess you could but say. But how many years was supposed to have passed? Who knows? They never say. They never really say how long has passed since the end of the second movie and the beginning of this third movie. There's just, They just, of course, every movie begins with Alice recapping certain events from previous films. Not all of them, because some of them don't matter anymore. Some of them contradict the story that they're about to tell. So the beginning, Alice just explains that after the Raccoon City incident, the virus, which had turned airborne, continued to spread across the world. And in a matter of months, rivers and lakes had dried up and turned into deserts. Vegetation had been decimated and the world was dying. And then in a matter of months, in months, the whole world was affected. However, this wackadoo virus works because not only can it reanimate the dead and turn people into monsters, but it can also dry up lakes and rivers and kill vegetation. And turn the entire country into a desert. Not the country, the world. Into a big Supposedly, desert. supposedly. Well, and that's another thing. The majority of this movie takes place in the Nevada and Utah area, which is a desert anyway. So how are we even supposed to know that there was a an apocalypse? I mean, it would make more sense if it was like Ohio and Illinois and they had been turned or into... Or Florida. Or even Florida had been turned into a desert. No. Because then that would look... That would be a contrast of what they already look. But Nevada is already a desert. Uh, again, the silliness of, of these stories boggles my mind we gloss over the end of the world and we're just thrown into oh okay well this is what the survivors are doing and go you know something i think i've seen the movie it's called road warrior remember him you know mel gibson yes the whole mad max thing Woo! tina turner in the thunderdome that's what it is that's all that it is Everything from the way they uh, modified the vehicles, all of it. That's all it is. Yeah, that's what this movie starts off being. <laughs> Alice versus the Redneck family and the skinless dogs is the highlight of this film. Yep, goes downhill from here. I remember hating this movie with a fiery passion. 
I saw this for free in the theater. It was a free screening, uh, me and a couple of friends. I did not drive, though. I was I carpooled. Had I driven, I would have left. I would have walked out halfway through this movie. Did you want a refund? Because I would have want, wanted a refund. But it was free. Exactly. Uh, That's I, how bad. So this scene, uh, nice little action scene with this redneck family and these skinless dogs. Some of the skinless dogs escapes. The the, the rest of the dogs kill the redneck family. Yeah, in a uh, sort of Thunderdome type of thing. You know, they put her in the head and, hmm. Well, that's stretching, but okay, yeah, it's a it's a pit. I would go more of a Michael Vick dog fighting ring more than going for Thunderdome, but whatever. Alice versus the rednecks and their skinless dogs. Alice wins because, you know, that's what she does. <laughs> Look! It's Claire Redfield. Where? Who cares? Oh. To get reacquainted with the characters that survived the previous film, uh, we're thrown into this scene where there's a convoy of survivors traveling the highways of the, this desolated world. And the leader of this is Claire Redfield and has been since the end of the world. Uh, yet I don't care. I, I do not care because that's not the Claire Redfield that I want to see. I want to see the Claire Redfield that was introduced in the video games. Plucky, young, Plucky, spirit, young, looking spirited. for her brother and thrown into a situation that she's not prepared for, but she rises above it, blah, blah, blah. Yes. We don't get that, of course. We get this watered-down version. Now, and it's not even to say, again, nothing against a strong female lead, but... This isn't Claire Redfield from the video game. Claire Redfield from the video game evolved, turned, eventually turned into something like this. But she's not this character. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. There's yeah. character development. I get that. There is no character development here because we're thrown, we're giving this character and all it is is a name. That's all it is. It's fan service yet again. Because Ellie Larder could be playing anybody. They just so happen to name her character Claire Redfield. They could have made her Rebecca Chambers. They could have made her Jane Doe, and it wouldn't have changed the story. Allie Lauder playing Claire Redfield means nothing to the narrative of this movie. Anybody could be the leader of this uh, caravan. That's the problem. They're just throwing these character names in there because they think that's what the fans want. No, we don't want you to name a character after somebody that we know from the video games. We want you to interpret the video game into a film, which is not impossible because you can the Hollywood we've seen Hollywood can now has has, has gotten their head out of their ass and they can take one medium and transfer it to another. Sin City is the perfect example of that. Very much so. It's almost panel for panel, shot for shot, the comic book into a movie. I mean, and again, as we said before, we like Ali Larder. It's, it has nothing to do with her being in this movie. It's, it it's mean, her being cast as that character. It's, I mean, she is easy on the eyes, and that's probably why she did. they did it, but she looks nothing like Claire Redfield. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, even the dye job they gave her hair is bad. No, she looks nothing like Claire Redfield. Jason O'Mara plays the first version of Albert Wesker. Now, some of you may or may not know, I am the co-host of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast with my fellow podcaster, Mike Wilkerson. And on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in season four, this the season that is currently running right now, 
a new director has been named for S.H.I.E.L.D., and it is uh, director Jeffrey Mace, played by the actor Jason O'Mara, who in this film is Albert Wesker, the first version of Albert Wesker, because after this film, he gets recast. He gets recast, and it's another person playing Wesker for the rest of the series. I had totally forgotten that Jason O'Mara was in this film, so while I'm watching it, I was like, holy crap, it's director Mace. Very interesting that this film series, reviewing the Resident Evil franchise, would actually bridge my podcasting wheelhouse, because now... It has brought my Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. into my horror. And you have gotten your horror in my Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Evil Doctor wants to control the zombies? Really? So this is Day of the Dead now? Yeah, really weird that Dr. Isaacs has this, this big plan. Well, the world is over, but uh, I'm working on controlling the zombies. That's... The one of the plots of George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, where Dr. Logan is trying to domesticate zombies so they'll stop eating us. Because we're, we're, we're long past trying to find a cure. Now we have to find a solution to what we've already got. And this whole concept of trying to domesticate the living dead. It, did Paul W.S. Anderson like have a, a list of his favorite movies? Like on a big cork board in front of him, and did he just did he just start throwing darts at the cork board and whatever movie it landed on? That's what he was going to steal from. <laughs> the birds versus Jedi Alice. This this scene kind of starts out very creepy. I mean, the the caravan of survivors are are surrounded by and. A gathering of crows is called a murder. Yes. Which is awesome. This is more, uh, this is this is a murder times a million because there got to be at least a couple hundred crows. So, And, and the explanation is, is that they've been eating dead flesh. They've been eating zombies, so they have now turned into zombie crows. They're infected. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. And the beginning... Of the scene, and even as it started to progress, as they started attacking the caravans, great, beautiful, fantastic. Love how they set that up. Love how it will start to be executed. How are they going to get out of this? They lost a couple of people. A couple of people died. Yes. And who comes to the rescue? Jedi Alice. She takes the fire from the flamethrower that is now out of control and causes it to catch all of the crows on fire in a, a, a gulfing inferno. And kills them all. What? <laughs> now it's 28 days later? And I mean the movie. Not as in it's 28 days later. Yeah, it, no, no, it's not a passage of time. It's the, the film. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's uh, Dr. Isaac's like, oh, well, I can't domesticate him. But hey, look at this. Uh, I inject some of clone Alice's blood into them. And they get all ragey and super strong and fast. Uh, does this movie not know what it wants to be? It's 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 so convoluted by this point in time. It's I just want to slit my throat, man. I really do. If you want to go to Alaska, you got to hit Vegas first. Where did they start from? Where was the starting point? 
that says we have to go through Vegas to get to Alaska. If they started in New Mexico, yes. Well, well no, they, they didn't go to Vegas because they were driving that way. It was they had to find gas to get to Alaska. And so the biggest city that was closest to where they were was Vegas. Remember, they have to avoid the cities because those are the most populated, hot, populated areas. Yeah, they've got the most zombies and bad creatures running around. So they stay away from the cities. But they need gas to get to Alaska because evidently there's this there's this safe haven called Arcadia. And that's that's the new MacGuffin. We gotta get to Arcadia. So it's all about, well, we gotta get gas to get to Arcadia. So let's do what we shouldn't do. Let's go into a major populated area and try to find some gas. That's suddenly flooded with sand. Yes, it's the desert decided to take back Vegas. Oh, okay. So the Fine. virus can control the sand and make the sand take back Vegas. I, I no. I'm th- remember nature. It's remember. Just think of it this way, Diesel. And, and you can see it if you go online and look at pictures of malls that have been closed. Those malls eventually get overrun with vegetation. Yes. Nature is taking it back. So that being said, if a city that was built in the desert suddenly stopped being a city. The desert would take it back. I get it. And I get that. But the time frame that passed is not enough for that much to happen. Well, again, we don't know how much time has passed. They're making it up. The the fucking writer's making it up as he goes. So really, the person that we should be asking is Paul W.S. Anderson. But I'm sure he's not available for comment. (laughs) Was this a pro or con smoking film? The movie, all your main characters, except for Alice, are all asking each other, hey, you got any cigarettes? You got any cigarettes? Yeah, I really want a cigarette. Oh, what about the other stuff? They don't even say it. But we all know that they're talking about marijuana. But, oh, there's nothing of that left either. And it's all through the movie. Oh, you got something to smoke? You got something to smoke? And then there, at the very end, when they're trying to storm Dr. Isaac's underground stronghold... Oded Fair, who has now been bitten, thanks to Mike Epps, who got turned into a zombie in this movie. And hid it from people. And hid it from people. It's the one thing that you don't do in a zombie apocalypse. You don't hide the fact that you've been bitten. You selfish bastard. But I digress. So Oded Fair, on his last legs, decides, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to take the truck, and I'm going to blow a hole open to where you all can get in there. Okay. And he finds... I want to say that it's a marijuana cigarette because he he's making a comment about LJ, Mike Epps' character, and it's rolled. So it does look like a joint. And he lights it up, and the, the camera pulls back as he's enjoying his last, cigarette. His last smoke of something. And bad CGI and, again. And bad CGI, and then it blows up. Boom. So my, my question is, is that was this movie a pro Smoking, it was like, yeah, smoke, you should smoke. Why aren't you smoking right now? Smoke, you smoking yet? <laughs> or or is it against smoking? Is it is it showing, hey, the is world it is in those truth, don't smoke. Is it one of those truth movies? Yeah, it, 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 uh, truth. If you smoke, you'll be eaten by zombies. I, I don't know, and that's... I think it's I definitely some, one of those, it's definitely a message about smoking. It's a message about something, but I don't think we'll ever know what it is. Trying to tie into the game series again. Oh, and clones. 
So before I get to the biggest problem that I had about this movie, let me, let me get to the tie-in. So Dr. Isaacs is got injured during the Vegas assault. He's now trying to inject himself with as much antivirus as possible. And him being a doctor, especially one of the doctors who actually helped create the T-virus, supposedly that's what we've been told, he's just bombarding his system with antivirus, which is causing him to mutate into a giant monster, very similar to the monster that Dr. Birkin turned into during the events of Resident Evil 2. With the big eyeball on the shoulder. We didn't get to that point, but I, I have a feeling that had Alice not killed the monster Dr. Isaacs, or maybe had they had a little bit more money, we could have done a really crappy CGI giant eyeball popping out of his shoulder. And I, you know what? I would have been okay with that because I'd like to see that. But alas, we don't get that. We get a half-handed attempt of that. Real quick, what's with Resident Evil and putting eyeballs on weird places on monsters? Because you notice that in all the, in the games. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's unnerving. It's un- you're expecting eyeballs to be right here, and and then you got one like where somebody's nipple should be. Or in, that's know, a little unnerving. In like their ear or something or something. Anyway, all right. So eyeball big, penis. Re- <laughs> Sorry. So the big problem that I had with this movie is all the damn clones. I mean, the movie starts out, clones. Throughout the movie, it's all about clones, clones. We're doing some clones. We got clones, Alice, clones, clones everywhere. Attack of the clones. (sighs) Again, I have a feeling there are very few people who really enjoy the prequel trilogy of Star Wars. I think Paul W.S. Anderson is a big fan of the prequel trilogies because he just loves clones. Because this movie ends with Alice telling... The remnants of Umbrella, we're all in hiding underground. And we're coming for you. We're coming for me and my me and my clones. We're coming for you. We're going to put an end to you. And that's how this movie ends. It was a lot of Alice clones. A lot. Well, as this movie series will prove, there's a lot of clones everywhere. Evidently, all Umbrella did was create the T-virus and make clones. That, that's all they did. We got clones over here. Aisle 7 clones. All right, so. Oh, this is easy. So my rating for Resident Evil Extinction. uh, If you couldn't hear the disdain in my voice during our little recap of this film. Disdain, uh, you say? Disdain. (laughs) Kill me now. I absolutely hate this movie. This is the film that made me not want to have anything to do with any other future Resident Evil films. Actually, it's your fault that I continued with the franchise because you convinced uh-huh. me. Yes. Oh, yes. We'll get to that very shortly. Uh, it's wrapped up into the next film. Diesel, what's your rating? Oh, that's easy. Kill me now. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I want to die. Resident Evil Afterlife, released in 2010, directed and written by Paul W.S. Anderson, starring, again, Mila, I can never pronounce her Jovovich. Thank you, I can never pronounce her last name. As Alice, of course, Allie Larder, as Claire again, Whitworth Miller, and Kim Coates. Now, we all love Kim Coates, though. 
But well, I love Wentworth Miller. We get Wentworth Miller. He's uh, he he plays Chris Redfield in this movie, and fans of uh, the show Prison Break will remember Wentworth Miller in that film. Oh, but geeky fans will know Wentworth Miller as Captain Cold in the CW show The Flash. I do like Wentworth. Yes, yes. So I mean, we've got a good cast. Yes. Again, you've got good actors in this movie, yet. Real plot. While still out to destroy the evil Umbrella Corporation, Alice joins a group of survivors living in a prison surrounded by the infected, who also wants to relocate to the mysterious but supposedly unharmed safe haven known only as Arcadia. My plot. Look! We added more stuff from the games! Sure, it doesn't make much sense, but it's 3D. The evil in this movie has been brought to you by the number 3 and the letter D. 3D. 3D. Why? I, I, it well, was... look at the look at the date that it came out, Diesel. It's 2010. Oh yeah, everything had to be in 3D. If you're doing something actiony, or if you want to get people in those seats, you got to have a gimmick, and it's got to be 3D. Yeah, because uh, Extinction stunk that bad, so they knew people weren't going to want to see a new Resident Evil movie unless it was 3D. Ugh, didn't go in the theater. I don't even remember how I saw it. I don't remember much. I of do it. believe you re- you rented this movie because you brought it over to show me, and I don't know why you did this. Probably just for the same reason it's probably, I did for Halloween too. Possibly, but for some reason, I believe in the back of my mind something is telling me that you watched it before showing it to me, and you said, "No, no, this one's better than the last one." I might be wrong. But there's something, there's something, or maybe that was you and the Saw franchise. It was the Saw franchise. Okay, well. Because you know I like Saw. Well, I know you like Saw too. But. And three. That, Saw as well. <laughs> but you brought this over, and you were the one who convinced me to watch this movie. We had to. We didn't have to. We did. But we did. <laughs> Four years since the world died? So the beginning of this movie, uh, again, you get a recap from Alice telling you only the important bits that Paul W.S. Anderson wants you to know. But you're also shown an outbreak in Japan that evidently happened sometime shortly after the raccoon incident. Very interesting scene. It's a nighttime, raining, a lot of uh, Japanese people running around with umbrellas, and there's this, this one female... Just standing in the middle of the rain, looking very sickly, and then she attacks a guy, and there's panic, pandemonium, uh, yeah. So there's the highlight of the movie again, folks. Is the very beginning. You get some cool stuff, and then after that, eh, good luck. But they specifically state that it has been four years since the Raccoon City incident. In the overall storytelling of the Resident Evil movies narrative. Four years. So remember that. So basically from Resident Evil 1 to now, it's roughly five, no, five and a half Four years. years. Four years. She says four years. You got to take her at her word. 
You, you don't believe Alice? Do you think Alice is wrong? Do you think Alice doesn't know how to tell time or, or look at a calendar? No. You don't? No. I, do, I wouldn't blame Alice. I would blame Paul W.S. Anderson. The real attack of the clones. Alice is the woman of her word. At the end of the previous film, she said, me and my friends are coming for you, Wesker, and we're, we're going to take you down, booga, booga, booga. So here they are. Alice clones infiltrating the Japanese headquarters of Umbrella. And yeah, you get action. You get excitement. You get things blowing up. And you get stuff flying at the screen because it's 3D. No more Jedi, Alice! Oh, yes! Finally, they brought it back down to where she didn't do any ridiculous, these are the zombies you're looking for stuff now. Yay, they got rid of the telekinesis and the pyrokinesis. About time. Now she's just back to badass Alice. I think I could buy somebody with proper training and, you know, weapons combat training and things like that. I, I think the films were getting too big for themselves. But the problem is that even though they have now turned Alice back into a, a human, sort of, it still doesn't take away the over-the-top factor of the rest of the universe that, that she now lives in. Everything is still over-the-top, yet she is now limited, which makes for interesting storytelling because now she has to be more creative to get out of situations instead of just using... Her Jedi powers. Yay, I'm I'm all for that. But if you're going to bring her down, you need to try to bring a little bit more reality into your action horror fantasy movie. So in other you words, you can't have a little girl who now does not have superpowers fight something that's ten feet tall and carrying a homemade axe. That's made out of like a car door or something. I mean just if they were going to fix that problem, they should have went with they. They fixed one problem and said, "Nope, we just need to fix one." Right. There were many problems that need to be fixed, and they only focused on one. Look, Red Ruby Spider mind control thingamajig from the game, which also causes memory loss. Memory loss is really popular in this franchise. You know that. Yes. It's like anytime you don't want to explain something, just give the character memory loss and then you don't have to worry about explaining it. You know what? I think they're doing that on purpose, in other words, to try to get us to forget everything else. Well, then, if that's the case, I really wish I had one of those red ruby spider robot thingies that mind control me and make me forget things. Because, But it also is also a reason to show off cleavage. Well, when you put it on a female character, which it seems it was only ever on female characters in this franchise. Duh. So Alice, after supposedly defeating Wesker and becoming sort of human again, has now spent six months searching for the people from the previous film who went to Arcadia in Alaska. She finally comes to the end of her travels, and this it's this it's an airplane graveyard. It seems like everybody that was told to come to Arcadia, that's that's these are all the planes that, that took them there, but there's nobody there except Claire Redfield, who oh. has one of those doohickeys on her boobs <laughs> that has caused her to go cuckoo crazy and forget everything that she knows. Yay for convenience. Yeah, we'll, yeah we're just going to call it that. 
L.A. survivors have clean-looking outfits, considering the end of the world was four and a half years ago. But yeah, but dry cleaners are still still around, huh? Well, I mean, they seem very well put together compared to the previous film's characters who were on the road and they had patchwork clothing. Patchwork everything. I, yeah, I mean, I guess evidently this this prison that they're they're held up in, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So Claire and and Alice decide to travel back to the continental United States, and they're going down the West Coast, and they end up in L.A., which even though the world's been over for the last almost five years now, parts of L.A. are still on fire, and this one prison still has running water, and a handful of survivors in it. And that's where Alice decides that she wants to park her plane. And these survivors are well put together. They have the, their clothing looks like they just got it back from the dry cleaners. They do not look like they've been surviving an apocalypse for the last four and a half years. And I just find that extremely strange. No, I can even buy that one. In Land of the Dead, the tower, the way they were living up there. In the Tower of Land of the Dead. Well, yeah, but they had power. Yeah. And they had electricity, running water. Yeah, I mean, it, was, say, it, it was a high rise. Yeah. yeah. I could buy that. Right. But this in the Walking Dead prison, if just an example, of that's basically just, hey, this is where we're going to live. And even if you manage to live there, survive there, you have routines and, and policies and protocols in place to make sure this was an inhabitable place for anyone for years to come. You still would look that clean. You wouldn't. Right. No way. There's no way. So yeah, me and you right there on that same point. If at the end of the world, you look, need to look a little more disheveled. Yeah, and your hair doesn't need. To, that's another thing I'll get into later. We get a Chris Redfield, not the Chris Redfield. I've been complaining about this for the last four freaking films, man. They give us a character that is named after someone from the video game franchise, but it's not that character. And here's a question. Did you see any type of bonding between him and Claire? They're brother and sister, supposedly. Well, yeah, but remember, Claire doesn't have her memory. Wow, and he's not going to... He remembers her, of course, but she doesn't remember him. There was no, like, desperation of, oh, my God, Claire, you're alive. I don't know you. No, I'm your brother. I'm Chris. There was none of that urgency of, you have to remember me. You're my only family. Oh, my God, I can't believe you're alive. There was none of that. It was very cold and dead, like most of the movies in this franchise. Cold and dead. (laughs) But... Wentworth Miller, as this Chris Redfield, I had no problem with this facsimile of Chris Redfield because the actor is talented, and the actor made me want to continue watching what he was going to do in the film. But, again, this wasn't the Chris Redfield of the Resident Evil video game. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And the only saving grace was it was done by a good actor. Burrowing, not zombies, with wormy, sucky mouths. (sighs) So I know that this is from the later games, Diesel. Resident Evil 5. 
four and five, don't they have those weird things? Not only four, five? Not four, just five and six. So Resident Evil 5 and 6, you had certain infected people that had the wormy yeah. things that pop out of their mouths to cause damage and mayhem. Yep. I hate this. Yep. I really hated this. Suddenly, it's, yeah, Resident Evil decided to put in Predator Miles. It's an example of we're going to shove something from the video games into the movies so the video game fans can't bitch. Well, guess what? I'm bitching. Because up until this point, you had zombies. You had the living dead. You did not have anything popping out of their freaking mouths. Or anything like that. I mean, it reminded me of Blade 2. You know, the super vampires that that, that their jaws would open up. They had the weird sucker things coming out. It reminded me of that. And after three films of just zombies going to this, it was very jarring. Trying to go with the video game, but that's where the video game started going wrong. (laughs) Giant. X dragging monsters. Okay. Another shout out to the video game. Was this a creature from from what which video game was it? Resident Four, Evil five? five. From five. Resident Evil Five. So again, they're trying to connect it, but again, again, they're connecting to the wrong ones. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, they're, well, maybe not. Maybe they are finally connecting to the right ones because. A lot of fans of the video games have always said that 4, 5, and 6 are more action games instead of survival horror. They totally are. Okay, well, I mean, this movie franchise has been nothing but action since it started. So maybe maybe we're complaining that they're finally getting it right, but they're not getting it right for us. I don't know. Okay, all right. Okay, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. A personal problem I have with this is because in Resident Evil 5, the setting is in Africa, okay? Uh-huh. So... All the monsters, including that one, were Africans. This is in America. So giant axe-dragging creature is Caucasian instead of African. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like, okay, you're trying to take it, but you're you're still messing it up. <laughs> shout out to Kim Coates. Gotta love Kim Coates. Taking this time to give a little shout out to a great actor, Kim Coates, who... He's been in a lot of great things. Most people will remember him from his role on Sons of Anarchy as Tig. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite characters from that show. Ooh. But the you... great thing about Kim Coates is he is now a part of two film adaptations of my two favorite survival horror video games. Because he was also in the Silent Hill movie. As the police detective, he was. Yes, yes, he was. Because he didn't have he didn't have the facial hair in that movie. Yes. So the simple fact that he is now he he has now been in both franchises puts a big smile on my face. I would like to say that Kim Coates being in this fourth Resident Evil film made it even better. It did not make it better. It made everything that Kim Coates was doing better. But he wasn't on screen enough. Just like Wentworth Miller. If I could have a movie with Kim Coates and Wentworth Miller. Uh, if only I worked for Hollywood. The thing about Kim Coates' character in the film, and it's something that goes back and forth with these movies, usually in, in a film like this, you have to have that asshole character that's going to screw you over at some point in time. Remember, the Dawn of the Dead remake, you had 
Ty Burrell, who's very popular right now on Modern Family. On Modern Family, Ty Burrell was your asshole character. And he did a good job, honestly. He did an excellent job. And that's what Kim Coates does in this movie. He's your asshole character who is going to screw you over. And guess what? Spoilers, uh, he does. In case you forgot. 3D! I'm on a boat in the Matrix? Escape the prison and go to Arcadia, which now is discovered is just a boat. It's a just big boat that's it's right there. You can see it. It's just off the coast of L.A. But you got to conveniently. Get, conveniently, it's it's parked there, and that's where all of our characters want to get to now. So it's all about escape the prison, get on the boat. So there's this great there's this and I will I will admit it is a great action sequence for a good three minutes where the walls fall, the creatures are swarming the the prison, our characters are trying to fight their way back to get downstairs, to crawl through the ground, and get to the sewers to get to the coastline. Where action movies are concerned, it was very action-packed because Alice jumps off the building with a rope tied around her and she does this nice swingy-do stuff. Hooray. Very action-packed. But, come on. As we've said it several times before, most of the action in this movie is created for the 3D effects. And once they finally do get out of the prison and out of L.A. and over to the boat Arcadia, they discover that deep down in the bowels of this boat, they've they've evidently entered the Matrix because Albert Wesker who somehow is still alive, is in charge of this boat, and this boat is filled with people in cryotubes that he plans on using as experiments for Umbrella. What? 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 There's no more world. Why are we still running experiments? I don't understand what this obsession with keeping Umbrella at the forefront. The world's over. Who gives a fuck if Umbrella's still around? It doesn't make any sense that Umbrella is doing the things that they're still doing after the world is over. I got nothing to say about that because <laughs> I, I agree because, yeah, world's done. Nobody's around to buy stock. Nobody's around, around to buy drugs, buy medicine. There's no one around to do any of that. There's no one around. They're dead. They're zombies. But, no, you're going to, we are going to perform our experiments for what? For what? Exactly. For what? <laughs> Movie's over, so let's make it as confusing as hell. They've killed Wesker again. He, he gets blown up as he's escaping the Arcadia. Luther, our only black character in this film, Luther, did we find out, hey, he's still alive. Yay! He's alive. He's got the luck of Mike Epps on his side. And then the Umbrella Corporation is coming to attack the boat, and they're being led by Jill Valentine. Only Jill is evil because she's got one of those... She has a ruby spider. The she ruby has, spider between her boobies that's controlling her. She has a ruby spider. Wow. What an ending to a confusing movie already. Confusing, shitty movie you've got All you've got on the boat is Chris, Claire, and Alice along with the the frozen survivors 
And now they're about to be boarded by Umbrella Stormtroopers led by Evil Jill Valentine. And that's how you that's how you end your movie, which you're just screaming, hey, guess what? There's going to be another one, and you're going to pay money to see it, and we're going to make more money, and we're going to keep making these movies because you're dumb enough to keep watching them. I'm sorry, that, that went off on a little tear there. I, I apologize. The fact that Kim Coates and Wentworth Miller actually helped this movie a little bit. There were actually a handful of action sequences in this movie that weren't terrible to watch, even with the 3D angle going on. This movie definitely was better than the third film. So my rating for Resident Evil Afterlife is... That didn't suck. What about you, Diesel? How do you feel? Kill me now. Oh, wow. Kill you now? Yeah. Love both actors. Right, yes. And you know me, I'm a huge Sons of Anarchy fan. So, I know it. So him and, yeah, but they couldn't do it. They it, they couldn't do it for me. Couldn't I, save the film for you? They couldn't because it was just, it's, it, and the 3D angle just made it worse for me. So kill me now. Well, we have gone through four of the Resident Evil films out of this franchise of six. Yeah, I know. We've gone too far to stop, but we still have so far to go. So for our sanity and yours, fair listener, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Mike Wilkerson from the 24 Podcast here. There's only one place on the internet I go for 24 Legacy fans. It's your perfect after-show experience when listening to the 24podcast.com effort. 24legacyfans.com. That's 24legacyfans.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment real impact thanks to perpetual advertising are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors everyone loves a sexy woman running around with guns shooting zombies the only way people could love it more is if instead of it only being inside of a video game, Resident Evil, 
It was inside a feature film on the luscious, gargantuan silver screen. Don't miss the Versus Machine comparison review of Resident Evil, the video game, versus Resident Evil, the movie. Only from the Versus Machine. Don't get bit and head over to VersusMachine.com. That's VersusMachine.com. I'm Bob Chrisman from the Galaxy Cast, reviewing sci fi entertainment and more on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug. www.podcastbug.com. What's your favorite kind of car? What color is it? Did it murder people? Don't miss the Two Guys Talking Cars perspective review of 1983's Christine, an original story by Stephen King adapted by John Carpenter. The roar of a V8. Running teenagers. Blood red asphalt. Only from twoguystalkingcars.com. Welcome back to Two Guys Talking Horror, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. This time, Fright-Filled Franchises. A look at the Resident Evil movie series. We have gotten through the first four films. We've reloaded. We've gotten our health spray. Some green and red herb. We've mixed that together. And we are ready to push forward for the final two Wait a minute, entries. Did you, did you pick up shotgun ammo? I did pick up some shotgun ammo, and right. I have unlimited Gatlin gun ammo. Uh, oh, what? that's good, because I yes, have a magnum. That is very you know good. Me, you know me, I'm daily with a magnum. That is true. So let's get back into the Resident Evil movie series. Resident Evil Retribution. I don't know what we're getting retribution for. I mean, the world... Is it the world? Maybe it should have been called Resident Evil Avenging. I, I don't know. 2012, we get Resident Evil Retribution, written and directed by... Paul... Paul W.S. Anderson. Anderson. This movie... Uh, I don't know what happened, but they decided they were going to kick out the jams for this one because this movie had everybody. Of course, Mila Jovovich is back as Alice, but we get Sienna Gilroy as Jill Valentine because remember, she showed up at the very end of the previous film as Evil Jill. Evil Jill. Michelle Rodriguez is back. She died in the first movie. Or so we thought. Or so we thought. Luther who uh, survived the previous film. He's he's back. They got to have a good-looking black dude in there. Played by Boris Kodjo. And then you get Bing Bing Lee, who plays Ada Wong, character from the video game. Yeah, we finally get Ada after... We finally get Ada Wong. 
We also get Johan Erb playing Leon S. Kennedy. No idea who that guy was. Absolutely not. But we also are given Kevin Durand, who played Barry Burton. Fans might know Kevin Durand from... I mean, it's a horrible movie, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. He played Fred Dukes, oh. The Blob. Uh, he's also in Guillermo del Toro's TV series, The Strain, as the rat catcher, the exterminator. He's very good in that. Uh, he was also in one of my personal favorites, Western remakes, 310 to Yuma. Oh, yeah, that was a very good one. But Kevin, he plays Barry from the very first video game. We're getting Barry Burton after so many, we get so Barry many Bur- games. Barry Burton and Ada Wong after four movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, and guess who's back? Oded Fair. But he he died. How did Oded Fair come back? He's dead. Oh, oh, how did he come back indeed? Real plot. Alice fights alongside a resistance movement to regain her freedom from an Umbrella Corporation testing facility. My plot. More game characters. More clones. More. You keep spending money on these turds, so we keep making them. (laughs) Cool opening. And then back to basics. What am I watching again? So the way this movie opens, it's it looks like we're in a battle. It's a battle, but it's in slow-mo reverse. We're seeing Alice, who evidently plunged into the water. She is now coming out of the water from reverse. Explosion on the boat. Umbrella is attacking the boat. There's Jill. But it's all happening in slow-mo reverse. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is actually kind of cool. As the opening credits are, are, are rolling, you get this really interesting setup. And then, as we get to the beginning of the battle, Alice interrupts and gives us our beginning of movie recap, like always. And then once we get all the information that they want us to have before we start watching this piece of shit, the battle starts up again, and now it's regular time, back forward, and it's like, well, why are we doing that? I already saw this in slow-mo backwards, which was cool. I don't want to see this again. So after the battle, we assume that Alice is waking up in a suburban home to her husband and her deaf daughter. And now her husband is played by Oded Fair. So really weird. Very strange. They evidently have a very loving relationship. They have this daughter, very cute kid. And it looks like a normal morning getting getting the kid ready for school. The husband's getting ready to go off. And then, oh my God, not zombies come in because it's the... Lost the, Plagueis. The Lost Plagueis the worm, worm tonguey guys come in. Predator zombies. They kill Oded Fair and they start stalking poor not Alice and her daughter. And I found I found I found this this whole scenario really interesting. I like the whole suburban aspect to it because we didn't get a lot of that in the earlier Resident Evil movies. It was either underground in a facility or city streets. Yeah. You didn't get that family. Or the desert. Or, yeah, or the, the, the desert. You didn't get that sense of urgency that comes with the suburban surrounding with families and children and things like that. And this one gives it to you in spades despite the weird tongue-wormy zombie, not zombie creatures. Los Plegas. 
But then you find out this is all a scenario, and every single person in the scenario is a clone because that's not really Alice. Alice is actually still sleeping off the effects of the battle in a holding cell. I don't know if you noticed it, but that scene borrowed very heavily from the Dawn of the Dead remake, which you know is one of my favorites. One of my favorites, too, yes. Uh, it, it did. There was a lot of... The, it did feel to me very reminiscent of the opening scenes of the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Alice finds herself in a testing facility with crappy CG 3D, 3D effects. Yay. So, yeah, so like I said, Alice is being interrogated by evil Jill, but then is rescued by Ada Wong. Here's the question. Why is she being interrogated? For what information? Where it's over? Exactly. What What does Umbrella want to know that Alice knows? I mean, it, it really, uh, again, the, the silliness of this whole franchise doesn't make a lot of sense. But, okay, fine. So we find out that Alice is actually in this giant underground facility called the Testing Ground. And it's built off of a so old Soviet submarine holding area where i mean it's all underwater it's literally underwater and all of these different areas are are designed as different settings like new york city japan a suburban street and this is where they test all of their bioweapons why are you still testing I, the world is over why are we there still is no you're testing? not going to go to war with, who are you going to go to war with yeah i know i know exactly that's and that is that is a big head scratcher for me How does Alice know all about Ada Wong? We just met her. And how is Wesker alive? And and why is he not working for Umbrella? So, yeah, lots of questions are thrown at you real quick. As soon as Alice realizes that Ada Wong is the one that's helping her get out of this facility, she's like, yes, hello, my name is Ada Wong. And Alice is like, oh, I know who you are. How? Uh, yeah, I know. How? You don't know anything about who you are, but you know all about Ada Wong. Yeah, you don't remember anything outside of waking up in the mansion. Yeah, it's a glaring plot hole. But during this scene, we're also told that Wesker, who we saw blown up twice in the last film, still alive, but evidently not working for Umbrella anymore. He's a private contractor now. For who? For humanity. Yeah, he doesn't like how Umbrella is doing things. They are basically destroying the world. So, Wesker... No, they've already destroyed the world. True, they've destroyed the world, but there's still people alive on the world. That's uh, I think that's what the whole thing is. Wesker now has decided he wants to help save humanity, and he needs Alice's help. So, he has sent his best agent, Ada Wong, into the testing ground to rescue Alice from... Our bad guy of the movie, which is... <laughs> the Red Queen runs Umbrella? I know, right? Wait, what? What? Umbrella is now ran by a little red girl. Hologram. Ran by an AI. Right. Are we purposely trying to borrow from the Matrix? Is that another movie you're borrowing from? Probably. I don't know. Maybe Paul W.S. Anderson really likes The Matrix. Strike Team is nothing 
but fan service. They may look the parts, but they don't act the parts. So Wesker, who wants to help humanity survive, has two teams going in. Ada Wong's already in the testing ground getting Alice out. Now he's got a strike team that is going in through the back door to secure the exit for Alice and Ada. And this strike team is comprised of Luther from the previous movie, the, the black guy that did not die. Right. Leon S. Kennedy, Barry Burton, and some computer guy named Sergey. And Ser- Actually, uh, he wasn't a computer guy, but I believe Sergey was in Nemesis, the video game. I believe. You know what? By this point in time, I don't really give a fuck anymore. Because now it seems like, hey, look, look, here's our fifth movie. We're going to shove so many characters from the video games up your ass that you're not going to be able to shit right for a week. What's the point now? Literally, all this fan service is really just pissing me off by this point. Because now we're five movies in, and now, only now, have you introduced every single original character from the first three games. Only now, after five movies... Have you introduced the main characters of the first three game installments? And I'm I, out of the top of the, out of all of them. Top of the list for me is Leon Kennedy, and I've waited five movies for him to basically do a cameo. <laughs> two giant axe dragging monsters for the price of one. Not just one, but, but two. two. I only mention this because it looked cool. Yep, and that, that's it, that's about really it. That it, no, it did it did look pretty. Two cool. giant sack wearing axe dragging monsters running through the streets of New York City, trying to kill Alice and Ada. Nice little action sequence. Yes, that's about it. Los Plagas virus mentioned, but never explained. Now the fans of the video games will know the Los Plagas virus. Is very important, specifically in... It was 4. It did start in 4. Again, to me, this feels like another Resident Evil name drop. That's it. Oh, yeah. That's it. Because they only mention it. I mean, it's actually mentioned by name later in the movie by Leon. But again, no explanation. Here, the only reason why I know that they're using the whole Lost Plagueis virus aspect is so that you can have living, dead, infected creatures that aren't necessarily zombies, that can actually fire guns. Because you get this big battle between Russian zombie soldiers who can drive cars, fire Gatlin guns, and things like that. So that's the only reason why you would introduce the concept of the Lost Plagueis virus. Does it do anything for the movie? Action and 3D effects? Sure. Yay. Story-wise, all it does is just eat up some more time. Fuck a bunch of clones. In 3D. 3D. So cloning has been this running gag throughout this franchise now, it seems. And this is the culmination of it, really, because we've brought back a lot of the original characters from the first two films, but they're not themselves they're clones of themselves so they're the same character but they don't have any memories of the previous adventures that they've had with alice or they're they just look like somebody 
but they're totally different. Yeah. Hey, you look like such and such. Well, the, the, because we discover there is nothing that also in the testing ground, every person in the testing ground is, is a clone. From, from And also somebody from her past. The testing ground is a facility in which on the Umbrella Corporation would show different world leaders, different countries, what bioweapons could do. So you have to have people populate in your scenarios so that they can all be killed. They're mass-produced clones for every single scenario. Once a scenario is over, you clean up the mess and you put new clones in there. It is literally nothing but clone after clone after clone in this movie keeps popping up. And it seemed they only did this angle so that they could bring back people like Oded Fair and Michelle Rodriguez. So they're trying to do fan service within a fan service. Basically, yeah. I guess you could look at it that way. Giant liquor? Yes, please. Something that I thought was going to be absolutely ridiculous once it showed up on screen, I actually really enjoyed. They spent some money, and they actually made this liquor look like a liquor supposed to look. Only they made it giant, too. Actually, that is... What, did we actually get a giant liquor in the video games? Yeah, you get an army of them. They're in Resident Evil 5. An army of giant liquors. Yeah, they're in the later stages. They're in these um, cells, glass cells. You know, right, right, and right. And they break out. And oh, you have, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you get those. So that's where that's from. Cool. Well, I'm glad we had at least one because it served its purpose. I There were times where I thought, oh, wow, well, that was quick. And then, oh, it's back again. Oh, yes, keep Keep on coming, giant liquor. I will say that that one and the two X monsters were pretty good. Yeah. That helped a lot, in my opinion. It helped for moments. Yeah. Sweet, sweet moments of release. <laughs> we take a turn into Aliens territory again. So they're trying to get out of this place. All of our characters are dying. Barry's just introduced, and now he's going to die. The liquor has kidnapped the the deaf girl, the not Alice's daughter. Yeah. But, I mean, she thinks she's Alice's daughter. So Alice has this whole maternal instinct thing. Evidently, she has maternal instincts because she wants to protect the child. And the liquor kidnaps the child. Doesn't kill the child. Doesn't eat the child. The liquor takes the child and puts her in a freaking cocoon. So Kind of very similar to what happens to Newt in Aliens. So, the cool monster is introduced only to not do a cool monster thing. Yeah, I mean, he's killing everybody else except for this little girl. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe this is a really intelligent liquor who knows, ooh, I need bait to get what I really want. I'm, I know I'm probably, I'm giving it more credit than it really deserves. Yeah, you are. Ice and snow, we must fight. Plain white is a very boring background. Anybody will tell you that. A photographer, filmmaker, anybody. Plain white is very boring. And having any kind of action on plain white is jarring to look at, depending on what kind of color palette your subjects are wearing. So at the end of this movie, we have this big battle between the good guys and the bad guys on this snow-covered ice field. You would think that this would be the perfect opportunity to throw out some blood because red looks very stark against white. 
Mm-hmm. No. We could have had a bloody battlefield, but then it turned into a... Really, all it did was turn into, which super bad chick is going to take out this other super bad chick? And then that one will have to take on the last super bad chick. Uh, I don't know. It really, it really got. It, the only cool thing about it was when Michelle Rodriguez was pulled underwater by the Russian zombie creatures. I mean, that was that was about it. I really, really didn't care. By this point in time, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. You save the kid. You're out of the facility. You blew it up. The Red Queen has been defeated, so we think. Uh, just, just end it already. <laughs> We're not done yet. <laughs> Humanity needs. Jedi Alice. Here we are. We're at the end. Alice and the survivors have been brought to Washington, D.C., where President Wesker, I don't know if he's really the president, but I mean, I don't think there's any electoral college or anything like that, but he's sitting in the uh, Oval Office. Evidently, Wesker is has, has brought the last, supposedly the last of humanity to make their final stand here in Washington against the horde of not only the undead, but all the other monsters that have sprouted up thanks to the T-virus. And he injects Alice with the T-virus again because he says, we need you at your full power or humanity will not survive. And that's how we end the movie. It's it's Washington, D.C. The, the White House is surrounded by monsters galore. And that's how we end our movie. We're definitely going to be a sequel. There's got to be a sequel, right? Yes. I mean, we have to see how humanity survives. I think that whole scene was there just for the visual effect. That's it. They could have done that scene anywhere. But they chose the White House just for the effect to make people go, oh, my God. Uh, America. Yeah. Possibly. You might be right. It also goes with the whole fact that it seems like every single ending, every ending of the film, the next film, the ending's bigger, more elaborate, more ostentatious. And this is, I mean, this is a culmination of, of big endings because here you are, you got a smattering of soldiers with firepower. You got Alice and Wesker standing on top of the, the White House, surrounded by monsters and roll credits. Of course you're going to be clamoring for the next installment because you want to see how this ends. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I was duped into watching this film. And no, I cannot blame it on Diesel. I was duped because of the marketing for this film. I watched the original trailer for this film, and the trailer makes you think that most of the events if not all of the events on the previous films were false. They were imprinted memories. It was only a dream. And it was only a dream. Maybe some of the stuff had happened, but not all of it. And there was a way of getting things back to normal. And the way that the trailer presented itself, it felt to me like this was going to be a soft reboot within the franchise. So I was like, well, I, I got to watch this. I didn't go to the theater. I waited until it was available to rent. I paid my money. I rented it through my Xbox so I could enjoy it from the privacy of my own home. And I watched this movie, and I'm I'm livid. I'm like, this is nothing like what was described in the trailer. 
at all. This is a completely different movie. So I felt lied to and betrayed. Watching this movie again, I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt, taking away the feelings that I felt during the original viewing. And guess what? Kill me now. Because the movie frickin' sucked. I was very, very, like him, excited. Saw the trailers. Like, oh, oh my God. Yes, let's watch this. Watched it. This is not my Resident Evil. You took my Resident Evil people and put them in the background. Again, for the fifth time. You pulled the bait and switch on me for the fifth time. Kill me now. There it is. Kill me now. It's been a long journey through hordes of undead and monstrous creatures. We've been through hell and back, but here, now, finally, we've reached the end. I got a first aid spray. It's time to delve into Resident Evil, the final chapter. We want to give a spoiler warning to our listeners. Uh, We didn't really worry about spoilers in the first five films because they've all been available for a very long time. If you haven't seen them, it's your own fault. And why are you listening to this podcast? This sixth installment in the franchise has only newly been made available in theaters. We wanted to give people the opportunity to pause the podcast, go watch the movie, if you so choose, and then come back and listen to what we have to say. Because we do not want to be responsible for ruining <laughs> ruining your enjoyment of this of this final installment in the Resident Evil franchise. Yeah, so spoilers. Resident Evil, the final chapter. Released in the beginning of 2017. Written and directed by, oh yeah, you guessed it, Paul W.S. Anderson. Starring, oh, here's a surprise, Mila Jovovich as Alice. We have brought back Ian Glenn, who played the evil Dr. Isaacs in the second and third film. Allie Larder is back. No. Claire Redfield. Wow. And, you know, we got Wesker, and we got a whole bunch of other people, and that's about it. There's no real significant characters brought back for this final chapter except for Claire Redfield, who is now making her third appearance. Third. Because she was in part three, part four, and part six. Her third appearance in the franchise. So good for her. Yay. Real plot. Alice returns to where the nightmare began, the Hive in Raccoon City, where the Umbrella Corporation is gathering its forces for a final strike against the only remaining survivors of the apocalypse. My plot. Forget everything you thought you knew about Resident Evil. Because we sure did. With plot holes big enough to fly a jumbo jet through, Resident Evil, the final chapter, is the epic conclusion you've all been waiting for. Until the next film, because you still keep spending money 
to see this shit. You know how this movie starts? A recap. No. So like every Resident Evil sequel, Alice does lets, her monologue. Well, I mean, she, she lets us know what we need to know. Only this time, wow. I, I don't know how to feel about this. I, well, I do know how to feel about this. I feel angry. Because we are we are lied to, just straight up lied to in this recap. Because we're taken back before the events of the first movie. Evidently there was an outbreak. There was a there was an outbreak before the first film happened. And it revolved around the original creator of the virus. Who made the virus for his daughter. Right. Dr. Ashford. So- Dr. Ashford. But we were already introduced. To a Dr. Ashford in Resident Evil Apocalypse. Who was? But this is not the same Ashford at all. Because in Resident Evil Apocalypse, that Dr. Ashford, who had created the T-Virus... Was wheelchair-bound. Was wheelchair-bound, but had used the T-Virus to cure his daughter. But now in this movie, the beginning of this movie, we are told that 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 is completely and totally false. This Ashford can walk. He's perfectly fine. Big Head and Umbrella actually owns half the company. His daughter has a disease that will cause her to age rapidly. So by 25, she's going to look 90. Right. So so again, folks, in our recap, we are completely and totally lied to by Alice. Thanks a lot. And we learn that the end of the world was planned. By Umbrella. By the Umbrella Corporation from the start. Their plan was, this is how we save the world, is by destroying it on our terms. We cryo-freeze everybody that matters, and we let loose this virus. It'll destroy the world. We'll wake up, and we'll put the world back to normal, and everything will be fine. What kind of a corporation has that kind of mission statement? I mean, I read comic books, and I know megalomaniacs, and I know supervillains, and even that is just a little bit too far fetched. Yeah, for me. I would love to know what board of directors is going to sit there and go, "Okay, let's go with that." Mm, yes, this sounds like a very uh, we're very we're being very fiscal re- fiscally responsible. Yes, uh, this will make us a lot of money. No, they tried to throw in the whole you know global warming, polar ice caps, the all the things that are actually happening in humanity as we speak as a way to make it sound like it's a good idea. And it doesn't make any sense for any corporation whatsoever to just, all right, we're going to take us, freeze us, and kill everyone else. Well, we've talked about this in previous installments of this series, is that Umbrella's motivations seem completely and utterly ridiculous most of the time. And and here we are. We are given full-on proof that it is... It's always been this, and it's still silly. (laughs) Where was this battle? The battle that we were supposed to get at the end of Resident Evil 5. What happened? All you see is Alice climb out of the underground, try to find some water, and is attacked by a creature. Well, you gloss over the battle because then you don't have to spend all that money on it. What happened to everyone? Obvious, everybody's dead. Right. 
but they just decided, nope, you didn't need to see that. You didn't need to see none of that. Well, we didn't need to see the end of the world between the, the second movie and the third movie. Again, I don't understand. But after all of this time that we've been going through this franchise, you're still trying to find logic? Give up, man. Just give it up. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for logic. It has to be somewhere. Somewhere. The Red Queen and a ticking clock. We get no battle. Alice is the only one who left. So, I mean, literally, you have to think. Everybody that was there in Washington is presumed dead. Jill's dead. Leon's dead. Ada's dead. The little girl that was supposed to be, you know, Alice's daughter, dead. But we're not going to talk about it. We find out in this scene, the Red Queen tells Alice, I want to help you. I don't want humanity to die, but it will die in 48 hours if you don't do something. Wesker is alive. Wesker lied to you. Wesker brought you to Washington to kill you. He, he made you believe that he injected you with the T-virus so that you'd have your powers back. He wanted you and everybody else to die. Wow, that's really convenient. So hear me out. We're going to spend all the money on everything else on all the other CGI and everything else, but we we don't want to spend the money on your telekinesis powers and all that other stuff. This is how I'm looking at it. Keep it simple, because if you keep Alice grounded as a human, then here in her final moments, because this is the final chapter, she can still seem relatable. Because she's been human-esque, or human-adjacent, since the beginning of the fourth film. Okay, but I'm really tired of them showing us and doing one thing in one film and then immediately upon the next installment taking most of that away and going like, no, you don't need to know about that. Yeah, it's just, it's just, we leave with this cliffhanger and just say, eh, keep going. What? We got this time clock that in 48 hours, all of humanity because the virus is airborne, it's going to wipe out the rest of humanity, regardless of where they are. The virus isn't going to wipe out humanity. Remember, it's they're leading armies of the undead to the settlements, the last settlements of humanity. Oh. That's, that's why humanity is going to die, because Umbrella will overrun those settlements with all those zombies. The plan with the Umbrella Corporation is they decide that they're going to get into these fancy, very highly armored vehicles. And take some survivors, dump one out the back, chain them up, and as they're driving, half this person trail behind them barely while the zombies chase them. You're only seeing the convoy of the undead heading towards Raccoon City because that's where one settlement of humanity is left. There are several settlements across the globe that Umbrella is systematically sending Hordes of the undead towards. That's why you have the ticking clock. And there's no way that any of these surviving humans can withstand this horde. You're only seeing it from one outpost. So, I mean, that's very coordinated for a corporation that can't do anything but play with itself. But it's all being run by Dr. Isaacs, who was killed at the end of the third movie. By the hallway laser. Right, so he's supposed to be dead, but he's not. Evidently, that was supposed to be his clone. That's so we're what, back to clones again. That's what we're told. Yeah, again, uh, this movie is nothing but clones. But unless unless you release this 
antivirus, which is airborne, that's been around for the from the very beginning. Oh, and guess where it is? It's at the hive. At the beginning. Where you were at in the first movie, and we didn't know about it. But now you got to go back to the hive, and you got to get this antivirus and release it into the air so that it'll start killing anything that is infected by the T-virus. <laughs> Claire Redfield, Last Girl Standing. Out of all the supporting characters that have cropped up throughout the Resident Evil film franchise, Allie Lauder's Claire Redfield is seen here with one of the groups of survivors just so happens to be at Raccoon City. That's pretty, pretty, pretty convenient. Either that or maybe none of the actors want to come back. They said, screw this. Who knows? Uh, Again, I'm beyond trying to figure out any of the motivations of the real people involved in making of the film or the fake characters that are in this film. I'm beyond that. All I know is that we have this small smattering of people who are held up in what little is left of Raccoon City. And now Alice must band them together to create sophisticated-esque battle armaments to withstand this horde of the undead. And it kind of, to me, this movie kind of felt like one small action sequence after another. We didn't get anything like huge major set piece except for this. This this attack attack on Raccoon City seemed like the biggest battle scene that we got out of the film. Everything else was very small and intimate between just a handful of characters or a handful of monsters. And it feels kind of weird to have that in the middle of your movie instead of having it in the beginning or the end. Because you usually would think, well, if you got something this big in the middle of the movie, oh, you got to have something even bigger at the end. Nope. Uh, guess what, folks? No, you don't. Back to the hive. Alice, Claire, and a handful of characters that we don't spend any real time getting to know. Yeah. Get their way down into the hive, which, remember, folks, we were we were at the hive in the first movie. We're seeing evidently new parts of the hive that we didn't explore in the first movie because none of our settings are familiar whatsoever until later. But oh. that's later. We're we're running around in areas of the hive that make no sense to have. Just very similar of having a, a sewer system in the hive in the first movie. Like, you're underground. Why do you need a sewer system? Now, I do want to come back a little bit. There was a lake leading there, and they jumped into the lake because they were being chased by evil dogs, mutated dogs. And they come out the lake, and they make this, they put this scene there at the entrance of the hive. One person has one gun. Another person lost their gun in the water. One person only has one round left. Long story short, their guns are gone. Before they get into the hive, majority of their artillery is gone. Little to none. That's where they're at right now. We get into the hive. Now, I will say this. The fan scene, the beginning of it, was a little tense. I did feel a little tense with that part, crawling through the fan scene. Eh. Just a little. Okay. Well, where you were going was you get this group of characters. You're barely introduced to them. They spend certain moments giving you like a glaring camera shot of them like you're supposed to care about them. 
but there was no character development for any of them. Right. No one. Right, yeah. There was barely a recap. So who cares when they die? Right. And there was barely a recap between Alice and Claire. Barely. The thing is, though, is that you could actually say that about the entire franchise. You don't get enough character development except for Alice so that when certain characters do die or just never show back up again, you kind of go, eh, oh well. <laughs> May not look like much, but it's still deadly. The hive looks uh, pretty dilapidated. It doesn't look like anybody's really been using it that much. But it's still got some uh, some tricks. It's still got some traps. And there's still a lot of deadly things that happen in the hive. And even though I found the whole being in the hive, again, a little redundant. But I get it. We're ending the, supposedly ending the series, so go back to the beginning. Oh, okay. If we were going back to the hive, I would have liked to have seen some of the locations from the first film revisited. And all we get is that laser hallway, hallway thingy towards the end of the movie. Once once our characters finally get into the hive, they, they get separated, of course. And each of them are thrown into a certain little type of trap. And I know Diesel wants to complain about one instance. Okay, Alice and one of the members that nobody really knows, nobody cares about, fall into this room where there's... Corpses. No, no, you got to care about him because he's the black guy in this movie. Razor. Oh, God. The only black guy in the movie. Razor. Yeah. Razor and Alice fall into this room. For a quick recap, Razor is the one that said he lost his guns at the bottom of the lake when they fell into the water. Uh-huh. He has no guns, okay? They fall in. Alice pulls out a flashlight and her gun. Okay, Alice has a few bullets left. Razor pulls out his flashlight and a gun. Where did the gun come from? He, I know for a fact, he specifically says, I lost my gun in the water. Somebody from props got him one. There they are. And, of course, he gets killed. She picks up his gun by whatever monster's down there, and she unloads on this monster. All of a sudden, not only does he have a gun, it's full of ammunition, and so is hers. Big continuity error. And it wasn't even enough time. And that much time didn't pass through. And I'll get through time later. But that's a big one for me. I saw that, and I'm thinking, are you kidding? Wait, that's the thing that's amazing to me because I didn't see that. I didn't. I really didn't care anymore. I was paying attention on, on uh, to make sure that the clones, because clones keep on popping up. I wanted to try to keep track of clones. I didn't even I totally glossed over that. I mean, it may, may be a figment of his imagination. It may be a figment of my imagination. Maybe all of this is a figment of my imagination. Who knows? It is not a figment. <laughs> Why are you trying to find logic? I'm done looking for logic in this. I know that this film series is stupid. This film series is stupid, and it treats its viewers like they're stupid. So I'm done. I'm way past done looking for logic. <laughs> My three Alice's. So it all boils down to finally getting your answers about who Alice really is. Because Alice has no memory. <laughs> no, again, another lie. During this film, we're constantly told that Alice has no memory from before the mansion. Which is completely false because if you watch the first movie, Alice keeps on having memories of talking to the mole that was inside the hive. Matt's 
sister yes. getting her all the information that she would need to blow the whistle on Umbrella. She also had memories of having sexy naughty time with Spencer. So again, lies. We are betrayed by the storytellers because they're telling us one thing when we know that that's not true. But okay, again, remember, I'm done with the logic. I'm just pointing out all the flaws now because that's what this franchise deserves. So now we're told, again, remember, Ashford's, the Dr. Ashford's have changed since Resident Evil Apocalypse and Resident Evil The Final Chapter. Dr. Ashford's sickly daughter grows up and grows up quickly because, remember, the disease that she has will cause her to age rapidly. She owns one half of Umbrella after her father is mysteriously murdered. Spoiler warning, Dr. Isaacs had Wesker kill her father. Isaac owns one half of Umbrella, and Ashford's daughter owns the other half of the company. The Red Queen, as we were told in the first movie, is a representation of the head programmer's daughter, which we're now supposed to believe is Ashford's, this new version of Ashford's daughter. The Red Queen is young Ashford's daughter. Then we're revealed old Ashford's daughter... Because she comes out of her cryo-tube, yeah, she's and it's cl- Alice. A- Alice is a clone. Alice has always been a clone. This entire- Project Alice has always been a clone of Abigail Ashford. The clone that is in stuck in middle age does not age rapidly. So the end of this film, you get the young, the middle-aged, and the old all in one glorious scene. About family and 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 being more than what you're told that you are, and yada yada yada. Oh, FYI, you since we're on clones, we didn't uh, touch on that revelation. Apparently, Doctor Isaacs is a clone of a clone of a clone because he pops out of his cryo tube under the hive. And it's the real one, only he's super enhanced as well. It seems like everybody who either works for Umbrella or runs Umbrella is super enhanced in some way, shape, or form. Is it the T-virus? Is it something else? It's never explained. Yep, just that he did it before he he had it done before he was cryogenically frozen. Uh, Yeah, so in one film, we're told that Dr. Isaacs from part two and three was a clone that was killed. And this Dr. Isaacs that was running, heading the zombie horde towards Raccoon City was the real one. And then we're told at the end of the movie that, no, he's a clone, too. The real one was frozen. The real one's frozen down there with Abigail Ashford, played by Mila Jovovich, all in old lady makeup, which, not bad, I guess. I mean, I've seen worse. Yeah. I am sick and freaking tired of the clones, man. You know what? Clones have been responsible for almost destroying two franchises in my lifetime. The first one was Spider-Man. Marvel comic books had oh, this, oh, the clone saga. Oh, yes. Where but- Peter Parker discovers that he has a clone, Ben Riley, but then it's also revealed that maybe, just maybe. Ben Riley is the real Peter ben Parker. Ben Riley is the real Peter, Peter Parker, Parker and he's the clone. And then it finds out that, no, Ben Riley has been the clone all along. And Peter Parker's the real Peter, Peter Parker. Peter Parker's the real Peter Parker, yes. But that whole long, convoluted story arc almost destroyed the Spider-Man comic books. 
Spider-Man has always been one of Marvel's most popular characters, and during that storyline, their the popularity, the sales of that book dropped dramatically. The second franchise that was almost ruined because of clones, Star Wars. Star Wars was almost ruined because of the clones in Attack of the clo- Clones. Clones. So stormtroopers are clones. Is that what it, really, George? Is that what you really want to do here? Stormtroopers are clones of Bubba Fett's dad. Yeah. Luckily, Star Wars: The Clone Wars animated series it saved the franchise because the Clone Wars were actually pretty cool. Had the movies been as good as that TV show, then I would have enjoyed the prequel trilogies a hell of a lot more. So clones, clones are usually, are, for me, clones are scream bad news. And we have had nothing but clones for four out of six movies. It's been clone, clone, cloney, clone, 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 clone. Not to mention in the video games as well. Not as bad. No, it's not near as, as bad, bad in the video games. Nowhere near as bad. But I mean, literally, they they use clones in the movies to kind of just explain things away. Oh, it's okay. It was a clone. It's a clone. It's a clone. <laughs> Time does not matter. Alice is given forty eight hours to. Go to Raccoon City, go into the hive, get the antivirus, release it into the air to save humanity. Right. 48 hours. It counts down because it's on her little it's on her little watch and yep. on her wrist. Throughout the movie, you see it count down. When it gets down to the last few moments, time doesn't matter anymore. We're down in the belly of the hive. And they say you have four minutes. To get the cure, go through the hive, go back up to the surface, and release it. On their way back up, they have numerous fights with the new and improved or old and improved Dr. Isaacs. Right. Alice and Isaacs have these fights. These fights are much longer than four minutes. But somehow, she manages to get up there with a minute to spare. She... Suckers a grenade onto Dr. Isaacs. It blows the side of he blows off one of part of his side, and he's supposedly dead. Okay, then she grabs it. She somehow magically is up there with it with it with a minute to spare. All of a sudden, the Dr. Isaacs, there's the Dr. Isaacs clone that's leading the zombie horde. He's on his way down there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Dr. Isaacs, who you thought was dead, is up there as well. Grabbing the virus before it breaks, right before it hits the ground, with only 60 seconds to spare, mind you. So, a good two minutes of this scene between that Dr. Isaacs and the clone Dr. Isaacs arguing with each other about who's the real who's the real one. The clone betrays the real one, and then she finally unleashes the virus. But more than 60 seconds pass through that whole scene. So, my question is, does time really even fucking matter? Uh, again, you're fine, trying to find logic. The logic really doesn't matter because it really didn't matter if she got the antivirus in 48 hours. It really mattered if the Red Queen was given control back to herself in 48 hours. Because remember, she said, I was able to stop the attacks on all the other settlements. So they're safe. Okay, so that didn't need, that had nothing to do with getting the antivirus. Even though we were meant to believe from the very beginning that that's what it meant. 
So again, we're we're lied to uh, yet again. But really, I will trump your logic of the ticking clock to the fact that the timeline doesn't make sense at all in this movie's franchise. Oh, no, I'm not disagreeing. Because we're told the events of this film are taking place 10 years after the original Raccoon City incident. But that's impossible because the last three films have happened almost back to back to back. And at the beginning of the fourth film, we were told that only... Four years had passed since the world pretty much was killed. So, in other words, where are six years? Yeah, six years. Five, six years. Where's those five, six years? I I don't understand. But again, I I don't think we're supposed to understand. I think... We're just supposed to watch and go, ooh, ah, cool action. Yeah, I I actually kind of think that that's what these movies are supposed to be. I think you and I are actually thinking way too much about these movies. It's not like The Untouchable, not The Untouchable, The Expendables. We know exactly what we're going to see when we watch it. A homage to 80s action film stars. Oh, yeah, right. So we know that. But that's the thing. The Expendables aren't based off of a pre-existing property. From the beginning, these six films have dangled what we've wanted to see, but have denied us anything from the video game franchise. And yet we we kept on going, and I'm not saying we personally, but I'm saying people kept on going to the theaters and kept on spending money and kept on getting more of these movies made. And they got worse and worse. Who's the real fool here? Them for making bad movies, you know, one right after another, after another, after another, or us for going to those movies Paying to own them, paying to see them, and and making sure that there's that they make enough money to make another bad movie. It's it's a catch twenty two, man. It's a it's a conundrum. <laughs> An ending? No, not not really. The whole aspect of this antivirus, this airborne antivirus, is once it comes in contact with anything that's been infected with the T virus, it will immediately kill it. Of course, that's going to take some time once it's released. It has to float on the winds. And eventually, you know, it will encompass the earth and and then everything with the T-virus will die. But let us not forget, our main character, Alice, was infected with the the T-virus on several different occasions. We, from the very beginning of this movie, were led to believe that, okay, she's going to sacrifice herself to save humanity. This will be the end of our character. And again, if you are still listening to this podcast review and you have not seen this movie, and you do not want the very end of it spoiled to you, uh, if you're still listening, well, you know, it's your own damn fault. So we believe that Ellis is going to die. She drops over. We think she's dead. Oh, no, no, she's not dead. She's alive she's and alive. well. She's alive and well because the previous antivirus that was put into her protected her from being destroyed by this antivirus. Oh, okay. The antivirus just destroyed the T virus that was in her. Right. But left her. She's fine. human. She's fine. She's she's perfectly fine now. Now she is just human. But she's still in a world that is going to have to slowly regrow itself because not all of the T virus monsters are going to drop dead all at once. It is going to take time for the world to rebuild. And Alice rides off into the sunset with giant winged monsters following her, and. That's it. That's the end. Alice lives and evidently is still going to continue to kick ass while the world slowly 
heals itself from the T-virus. If you really can't tell from how venomous our pseudo-review of this final chapter was, yeah, you could you could tell that we're both wanting you. Kill me now. Please. Kill me now. Yeah, kill us now. That we, we did not enjoy this movie at all. We didn't have our hopes up at all. We had our expectations extremely low going into this. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be so bad that I was going to laugh at it. I could even do that. If it could have been somewhere around the like the first two movies, I I would have been okay with it. But this this was like a culmination of again, it's the fact that I was lied to. The fact that this film series was written by the same person all six films. Paul W.S. Anderson created this universe, this film universe. And if anybody was going to keep it straight, it should be the man who started it and did every single installment. And yet every single movie, something changes and nobody questions it. Well, guess what? I'm questioning it. Not even a good so, change. It, no, it's not even good changes. It just changes for the sake of the story that wants to be told during this movie. Not the franchise, this movie, this installment. They, that's what they did for part three. That's what they did for part four, five, and with this one. And this one kind of almost totally rewrites the entire franchise by telling us things that we know isn't true, but we have to believe it because the movie says so. Well, I'm sorry. I call bullshit. That's why both Diesel and I say, kill us now. One would think that an epic franchise would have an epic rating did resident evil need to have six movies no. in it's in a franchise no no it didn't i'd say four but here's my problem man and i've said it over and over and over during this podcast and i'm sure people are probably tired of hearing me say it i am not a fan of lazy writing and it seems that that is what we have been given if you can't keep your universe straight, then you shouldn't be in the business of writing films. When you create a world, you're supposed to nurture it and take care of it. Look at what Marvel is doing with their cinematic universe and all the little offshoots that they've got. You've got the movies, then you've got the TV shows both on your network television and on Netflix. And even though they're all a little bit different, they all exist in the same universe. They all reference each other in some way, shape, or form. And it's because you have a group of people who are consciously making the effort to make all of this make sense. And that's a group of people. Yeah. And now here, where the Resident Evil movies are concerned, you've got you've got one guy responsible now, for it, writing the script. Now I'm sure there's probably other people helping out. But Paul W.S. Anderson is the one getting all of the credit for writing these movies. So all of the blame is going to be aimed at him as well. Or now, at least all of my blame is aimed at him. Now, like, okay, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you can understand if something falls through the cracks because there's so many. But, like you said, it's just one guy and his group of people that are helping him. So guess what? You don't have it. Why don't you have it, man? Why can't you keep it together? If they can keep it together. If they can keep it together, why can't you? Stop backpedaling. Uh, you know what? I just stop. Just, I really hope that this is it. I hope this is the final chapter because 
sadly, even though there are, are some of the films that were enjoyable to watch and had their moments, my rating for the Resident Evil franchise as a whole, kill me now. I don't say this very often, but this is one franchise I wish would have been rebooted years ago. I'm not a big supporter of reboots and remakes, but this is something that that has needed it for the last four films, and I just hope this really is the end. So Resident Evil franchise, kill me now. I'm sure someone is going to reboot it, and I really hope that personally it's a gamer, it's a fan of the game series who... And that's the sad thing about it. You watch all these interviews, especially with Mila Jovovich. She talks about how her and her brother love these games and play them constantly. Well, if you love these games and you play them constantly and you're a part of this franchise, why aren't you saying, hey, why can't we have a little bit more of the game into this? I, 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 again, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry I interrupted. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. no I'll, I'll shut up now. Have someone like that write this, Nick, because it's going to get done. It's going to get done. Resident Evil isn't Resident Evil anymore. It's not scary. It's not survival horror like it used to be. We need to bring it back. So they're going to do that eventually. And I hope a gamer or someone who is a true fan of the franchise understands it reboots the film series. The Resident Evil characters that we know, we love, the the staples of it, the heroes of it, the heroines of it are not in these movies. They're just names and characters in these movies that mean absolutely nothing. You could take them out the movie and just put another person there. You can put John Smith in place of Chris Redfield and the movie will be the exact same. The exact same outcome. So, my rating of the Resident Evil franchise as a whole. Kill me now, man. Sadly, it seems that this franchise needs to be laid to rest and I hope that it rests in peace. Rest peace. Hope you enjoyed this installment of Fright-Filled Franchises. I know this was a labor of love for Diesel and I. There was a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of laughs, but uh, a lot of crying here behind the scenes. And uh, these uh, microphones in front of us are quite damp from our tears of pain and sorrow. So until next time, folks, I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, one of your hosts. I'm Diesel Adams, one of your other hosts. And remember, don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast.